0: Good morning. Good morning. It is great to see you. If you're here for the first time, we haven't met. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are thrilled that you're here with us. Uh, today we are actually, it's a, isn't it just a gorgeous day? My gosh, how do we dial this in? Somebody asked me why I was growing the beard. I was like, well, look, I did this. Growing a beard, it got colder. So I'm going to keep it going because uh, I love this. So we're in a series, we're wrapping up today called Core. And what we've been exploring over these weeks uh, since September um, has been the core values that shape who we are and how we live together and what we do in the world as a community. And so we've talked about things like the truth that, for us that God is a mystery to be explored, not a doctrine to be believed, and that we are inherently united with God. We're not separate from God. It's the idea that life is a gift to be enjoyed and love is a responsibility to be shared. We've talked about love and cu- courage, curiosity and humility, gratitude and honesty, and today I want to talk, last week when Stan was here, he talked a bit about where we've been. And so I want to talk a little bit, uh, I want to introduce some of the where we're going today. And then you'll hear more about that over the next several weeks. But I want to talk about where we're going. When uh, I first started at Grace Point, which uh, was back in April, one of the questions everybody had for me when we would sit down for coffee or lunch or whatever was, what is your vision for Grace Point? And I articulately looked at them and said, not to screw it up. Um, that was where I was at. I just, I, there's some beautiful happening here. I just want to be a part of it. I don't want to. And, and as we've gone through these months, it, it, having a response to that has been become clearer and clearer to me. Um, so today I want to, what is that? What is my vision for Grace Point? What I hope our leader's vision and your vision will be for Grace Point. we're going to dive into that today. I want to do that by talking about, um, the three words we use to describe our community. And that would be progressive Christian church, Grace Point, and if somebody asks, Grace Point is a progressive Christian church, and every one of those words means something that's significant to who we are and what we do in the world. So, I want to begin by talking about this word, progressive. Um, there, there, there's some caricature that exists in the world and on the internet around the word progressive. How many of you have ever used that word that you're part of a progressive church you're a progressive person and you have maybe been made fun of or been told that like basically that just means you have no values, you have no center, you have you don't you don't hold on to anything, you're sort of like jelly. Has anybody been told this? Yeah, like like if you're progressive that means you just want to undermine everything, you have no values, you don't really believe in anything. You just sort of bend with the you're like a tree in the wind and I, actually that's not what progressive is at all. It's a caricature of progressive, but that's not what we at Grace Point, that's not what we mean when we say that word. Um, I actually have found that what it means for me to be progressive is um, it's something that even the very scriptures that we read uh, invite us into. And I want to look at a story real briefly from Acts chapter 10. It's a story about a guy named Simon Peter. He's one of Jesus' original disciples. And when the Jesus movement began, it began And it was strictly a Jewish movement. Everybody who was a part of it. Uh, In the Gospels, when you read all these disciples' names, they were all Jewish. They were born Jewish. They were raised Jewish. They died Jewish. That's just who they were. That was their context. And in the early Christian movement, that's what everybody was. Everybody came from a Jewish background. Everybody practiced Jewish customs. Everybody understood the first five books that gave them their laws. All that stuff still mattered to them. And something began to happen as the Jesus movement spread out of Palestine and into the rest of the world. It began to encounter Gentiles. Gentiles are like 99% of the planet, right? Everybody else who's not Jewish is Gentile. And as it began to enter into that world, there were some really difficult questions being asked about how will this movement interact with these new people who want in? We have Gentiles who want to participate, but they're not Jewish, and they haven't had the rituals performed, and they don't eat kosher. You should go to their potlucks. There's bacon everywhere. It's just terrible, right? So what do we do Was the question. What do we do with these folks who want to join us but are different than us? And there's a story in Acts 10 where this guy Peter has this vision, and he's about to be sent to go tell somebody who's not Jewish that they can be in the club. And he has this vision, and in this vision, this sheet drops down from the heavens, And it's got all these animals on it, all these unclean animals. And there's a voice that says to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Weird story. He has a vision. There's a sheet that falls from the sky, all these animals. And what is he told? Kill something and eat it. How many of you would know what to do in that scenario? I had no idea. I I would starve in that scenario. Uh, and, And Peter chooses not to. And here's what he says. By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. So this is Peter coming back to God and saying, Ah, eh, I don't think so. You know I'm too, I'm too righteously pure for that. I'm not going to do it. It almost seems like Peter thinks he's being tempted. Right? He feels like he's being tempted to cross a boundary, tempted to transgress his tradition. Because he's been taught, not just by like here's he's been taught from the Bible that he shouldn't eat or come in contact with certain things. It's right there in the Bible. The the Bible he would have grown up memorizing, the Bible he would have grown up hearing in the synagogue, it says very specifically what you can and can't eat uh, in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus, for example. So Peter feels like he's at this moment of, is God tempting me, testing me to see what I'm going to do? By the way, wouldn't that be just a terrible way to be God if that's what you're doing in the world? Like, let's just test them to see what they're going to do and see if they get it right. And so Peter says, no, I'm not going to do it. Then the voice says again, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times and the thing, uh, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to do, make of this vision he had seen. So he, here's what happens. He has this moment, this vision, happens three times and at the end, at the end he says, huh, I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure what to do about it. But later he's interacts with these people who he would have always called profane, and he discovers that something's going on there that's actually clean and beautiful and wonderful. Simon Peter has this position that he believes. He has a statement. He has a thing, a doctrine. And it's in the Bible, and yet God calls him to leave that biblical passage and move on. Now, if you didn't grow up in in the Bible Belt or in evangelical you know, inerrancy, infallibility of the Bible, then this is not real shocking to you. But for people like me who grew up being taught that everything in the Bible is definitely factually inerrant and infallible, this idea that that Simon Peter is being called to leave behind a passage of scripture was shocking to us. He's being told, yes, that's in the Bible, and I'm telling you to let it go. I'm telling you to move on. I'm telling you that there's something else going on here and that if you stick to that interpretation of that text, if you stick to that moment, you're never going to get in on the new thing that's being unleashed into the world. When we say progressive, what we mean is that we believe that the, that the reality that was calling them forward is the same reality that's calling us forward. And there are ways, and there are practices, and there are theologies, and there are doctrines that our ancestors held dearly, but that we have learned actually weren't the best. And they actually weren't human-affirming, and they weren't life-affirming, and we need to move beyond them. How many of you go to the optometrist? A shockingly low number of people in both services. So I think we should all get an appointment very soon. Um, but one of the things that happens at the optometrist is, and at least at mine, they bring this butterfly-looking thing out. How I many you know what I'm talking about? They put it, like, on your nose, and you look through it, and they put some stuff on the wall. And they're going to sw- change sizes, and they're going to, what they do is they flip these lenses, and they're trying to discover where you see the best. Like, what kind of corrective lens, if any, will you need to see at your best possible vision? And so what they'll do is they'll flip one on and say, okay, is that clearer here or here? And you answer, and they say, well, is it clear here or here? And you answer, is this better or worse? It's worse. Let's go here. Is this better or worse? It's better. And you go through this entire process, and what are they doing? They're they're trying to discover what your vision is, and they're trying to then figure out, how do I help you see better? How do I change the lens so that you see better? Every one of us grew up with a lens. Every one of us. We all have a worldview. We all have a lens that we see the world through. And what we mean in progressive Christianity is that we regularly want to be checking those lenses to make sure we're seeing at optimum level. We want to let go of anything that doesn't help us see well. If there are understandings of God, understandings of the Bible, understandings of our faith that now we see as limiting us or now that we see are actually destructive to other human beings, we want to be able to let those go so that we can see in the clearest way possible. One of the ways to think about it is this idea of experience and explanation, So we get confused. and I've talked about this before. We get confused between the two. When we hear experience, explanation, experience means that something happened and somebody experienced it, right? They went through it. Our ancestors had a lot of experiences. Then they did the human thing of trying to explain them. And what we have sort of idolized and worshiped is their explanation, not their experience. We, We celebrate their experience, but we don't allow their experiences To limit ours. And we don't take their. Our ancestors had some weird explanations for stuff, y'all. You know this. They had weird medical explanations. They had weird scientific explanations. They thought that we were the center of the solar system. Like they had a lot of stuff going on. And and we celebrate that they were trying to move forward, but we don't limit ourselves by that. And to be progressive is to say, look, we we realize that whatever the word God means, it it doesn't mean uh, less than what it meant to them, but it's more. Right? It doesn't mean that God is going around changing, but it does mean that our experience, our space, our time, our lenses change, and as we do, we begin to see whatever the word God means more clearly, at least, than we did before, and we understand what Jesus was about maybe a little more clearly than we did before, and that, this openness to leaving behind what isn't serving us well and entering into the mystery, that's what it means to be progressive. Of course we have values. Of course we have things we're going to stand up for. Of course we have things. There are hills to die on, right? Right? but we also recognize that some of those things we've been handed aren't really best. We recognize that our ancestors had some views um, that were really destructive to other human beings. And we don't want to perpetuate those kinds of systems of injustice. So we have, and and by the way, they they decided these things based on their understandings of the Bible. If you look at the atrocities in American history, what you will find, even the atrocities that are happening right now um, in Syria, for example, Those atrocities are supported through quotes of text from the Bible, through scripture citations. You can really come up with anything. You can go to the Bible with an exacto knife and come away with anything. And so the question we have to bring, the, the posture we have to bring is an openness to say, nope, our ancestors read the Bible this way, and we don't want to read the Bible that way. We, we found a, what we think is a more just and generous reading of Scripture. So we're, progressive means we're always open to taking the next step wherever it leads. And then I want to talk about the word Christian. What does it mean to say at Grace Point we're Christian? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean to say that we're exclusivists, right? It doesn't mean that we've got it all figured out and every other religion's in big trouble. It actually means that there are people at Grace Point who come from all different places. Not everybody within Grace Point would identify themselves as Christian. We have people from the Buddhist tradition. We have people who are agnostic. We have people who are atheists, who are part of our community, and they are a vital part of our community. When we say we're Christian, what we mean is that for many of us, the story that speaks deeply to us, the story is the story we grew up with, which is the story of Jesus, which is the story of uh, how the whatever the word God means, interacted with human history through this life in such a remarkable and transformative way. That the story of Jesus, in that story, we see a beautiful picture of what God's love looks like on display to other people. We see what compassion looks like. We see what what hope looks like. We see what the ability to bring peace out of conflict looks like. We see the way to respond to even the worst parts of our worst mistakes, worst things in life is through love and compassion. So in the Jesus story, we get this narrative to live our lives through. Because everybody lives based on some sort of story. The story we're telling ourselves, the story somebody else is telling us, we all have a narrative. And inside that narrative is language. And here's the problem. Some of the Christian language can be really, really difficult. How many of you hear certain Christian words and you get a little bit of a pit in your stomach, like salvation? How many of you hear salvation and it's uncomfortable? What about uh, repent? I didn't say it angrily enough, but you know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) There's some languages use. I've had four semesters of German. And here's what I can do. I can ask how much the workbook costs. Literally, that's the phrase. If I'm ever in Germany, I'm walking straight into a bookstore and I'm asking that question because that's the first thing I learned. I can declare forcefully and excitedly that it is windy. (laughs) And I do when it is. And I, I remember almost all the curse words. Um, Because those were the ones I learned first. Because I thought I could say them, my parents wouldn't know what I was doing, but they had watched Hogan's Heroes, they said. So they knew every, I I stayed in trouble when I was in German. Here's the thing, I I love learning other languages. I've had years of Greek and Hebrew and I'm I'm interested in Spanish. I'm so interested in language. The language I am most comfortable in, even though it's got its problems, is English. That's the language I grew up, and not just English, depending on whom I'm around, an Appalachian dialect of English, right? Like there's a certain vernacular that I feel at home in. And for so many of us, that's the Christian story. And those words need to be rethought and reimagined. And next year, we're going to do a series reimagining some of these words that have become so problematic in the Christian tradition. But in so many ways, it's it's the language we feel at home in. The Jesus story is the language, it's the narrative that we feel at home in. And that doesn't mean anybody's excluded who doesn't. It means that when we gather together, that's often what we're going to do is talk about Jesus' stories, and we're going to talk about stories from this tradition, but we also understand that there are all sorts of other stories that supplement and engage with and can speak to our story, and so I think we, I actually grow deeper in my faith when I interact with people who have a different one, who have a different perspective and a different way of seeing. I think ultimately, oh, I was at Wild Goose this year, and uh, I'd given a talk about this language, this is the language I feel at home in, but it's not the only language, And this guy raises his hand and he says, "Um, so what would you tell a non-Christian who was generous to the poor and was helping people all the time and was so kind and compassionate, what would your pitch to that person be about why they should need to be a Christian? I was like, here's my pitch. Please don't let me stop you. I have no desire to change you. you. You're clearly, whatever the word Jesus means for me, whatever that person is, you're clearly doing those things. I have no need to change you right? This is, this is not uh, a a sort of a colonizing faith. It doesn't need to be. It has been, and it doesn't need to be. We invite people into the story as it speaks to them. It's meaningful to them. But even you, you're here right now at Grace Point. You're like, eh, I don't know about that. Can I still be involved at Grace Point? My goodness, I hope so, because your perspective is super helpful and, and so, so good for us. So we're, we're grateful that not everybody, even a part of Grace Point only speaks the same language. We're, we're, Glad to be able to converse through dialects. And then the last one, and this is a word maybe that people have also been hurt by and and have trouble with, but the word church. How many of you going anywhere, if you were anywhere else other than this room maybe, you would hear the word church and you would be like, ugh. Anybody? Yeah, church can be uncomfortable. In the beginning, in the New Testament, the Greek word that stands behind the word church is the word ekklesia. And it literally is just comprised of two words, ek, uh, out of, and kaleo, to call. Church is a group of people who have been called out of something. Now, in its original context, in uh, the Greek world, this would have been uh, a convening of a meeting among um, males, right? Because that's how the word world unfortunately worked. You would invite males who were voters into a room. You would discuss problems in the community. They would vote on a decision, and you would go carry it out. So it was about coming together, hearing something, forming a plan of action and going out and doing the thing you just talked about, right? It was more of a political gathering than a religious gathering. It was about how do we order the world that we live in? How do we live together well? And what are our, what do we do now? We've had this meeting. What do we go out into the world and do? I think one of the problems in Christian history has been that church abandoned pretty early on that whole piece of it that says, hey, we got a thing to go do, right? I mean, you think about the central moments in the Christian tradition post-biblical era. You're going to think about the three and 400s when they were formulating creeds and the the biblical canon. You're going to think about the 1500s when Martin Luther was nailing up his 95 theses under the uh, the church door in Wittenberg. You're going to think of those moments as if the best things that happened in our faith are all in the past and are all behind us, and they're all firmly embedded then. And all, they were, were, was about, all it was about was discussion, d- not even discussion, dictation, and being told what to think, right? Getting into a room and arguing about theology became the point for so many people of Christianity. And the way you know you did it is you either, in the ancient world, you either killed the people who disagreed with you, or you convinced them that you were right. I'm really glad the world's different, aren't you? Come on. But the reality is that much of Christian history has taken place, and it's only been you know white dudes with beards behind closed doors deciding what everybody has to believe. And that is not the Christian story, and that's not the meaning of church. Church is about being called out to then go and do. Called together to, to talk about it, to wrestle with it, to figure it out, and then to go into the world and put the plan into place. Churches, it's great to come to church and have discussion and debate. I love it. I love. I could nerd out over theology all day long. If the only thing we do as a community is nerd out over theology, though, then we're missing the vital component of what it means to be church. We're gathered together to go and do. I'd say this as as I think through that whole question of where is Grace Point going. I mean, Grace Point's been so fortunate. We we have so many people here who can articulate good progressive theology. And we wanna continue to do that. I hope Grace Point is always a safe place for people to unravel and deconstruct and a safe place for them to begin putting together whatever the next iteration of their faith is gonna look like, if there's one. I hope hope we'll always be that way. I hope Grace Point will always be a place of radical inclusivity and hospitality, but we will always be a radically welcoming community that everyone, literally everyone is welcome in this space who wants to be here. That's what I hope we always do. And thinking through the next step, I've been thinking a lot about action. What do we do as a community after we spent this time together? How do we go out? what, What is the thing? What are the things we want to use? We have a platform. We have opportunity. We have resources. How are we going to leverage those in the world? And there's a few things that have come to mind that I'd like to share. And just so you know that what I'm going to share today, over these next several weeks, you're going to start hearing about people who are actually helping us do these things who are part of our community. One of the actions I think is really important for us here at Grace Point is that we take very seriously um, our, uh, the opportunity and the invitation to become a community that stands against white supremacy and racism. Um, that, that feels very urgent and essential and important right now in this country and in this world. And, and I want to say it more clearly, Grace Point needs to be an anti-racist community. Um, we need to be a community that can lend our, our voices and that can lend our support to communities of color who are being oppressed, marginalized, mistreated, and um, under assault. That's, that's the first thing I think. We, we have to leverage ourselves to do the right thing at this point in time. So I, I believe Grace Point... And we're, we're going to be working on getting some folks in here at some point to be able to do some training with us so that we are better prepared to begin to take those steps. And I think Grace Point we want to continue caring and advocating for the least, the marginalized, the forgotten. Of course, that means our LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters. That means people at the southern border right now who are being caged and and separated and treated in very inhumane ways. That means people in the developing world who are trying so hard to build a life and to take care of their families, but can't because of systems and structures that in so many ways have been influenced by our country's policy toward them. Uh, and, and they aren't able to take care of themselves. And, and right here in Nashville, there are so many opportunities for us to do good. We have people in our community you're gonna hear from in a couple of weeks who are uh, actively working and doing some beautiful work with people in Nashville who are experiencing homelessness. And they're gonna talk to us about how Grace Point can come alongside them and use our uh, sweat equity and all the equity we have in the world to, to come alongside doing this good work. Next Sunday, you're gonna hear from a guy named Matt Malcolm. Matt works with Preemptive Love. Um, They began their work, uh, and I don't don't want to spoil it for you, but they began their work in Iraq and Syria with um, people being affected by ISIS, and now they're working at the southern border um, trying to create more humane situations so that people can survive. And we're going to hear from some of those people in the next several weeks. We're going to hear from uh, Dan Hasseltine from Bloodwater. Does anybody know Bloodwater? Bloodwater. And uh, he's going to talk about how um, some of the new initiatives they have going and how Grace Point can partner alongside with them. When we think about this vision of where uh, I think we're going, um, for me, it's, it's a global and a local vision. It's, it's saying that and it, everything may not be for. Every, everything we unroll here in the next little bit may not be for everybody, but I bet we're going to have something where you feel like I can actually begin to enact my faith in a really practical way. There's a story in Luke chapter four, where Jesus goes to his hometown and gives his first sermon. Uh, I've done that before, and it's a little nerve-wracking. I will say this. When Jesus ended his sermon, they tried to throw him off a cliff. Mine went a little better than that. Um, But he's in this setting, and he unrolls. It's a hometown boy. He's being spoken of so well everywhere else, and he unrolls the scroll, and he reads a section from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls up the scroll and he says, this is fulfilled in your hearing, and then they try to kill him. But notice what he says there. Everything in this text is an action. It's proclaiming good news to the poor. By the way, good news to the poor is that they're gonna have enough and they're not gonna be poor and unable to take care of themselves anymore. Good news to the poor is not, wait till you get to heaven, right? Recovery of sight to the blind, freedom for captives, to to declare to every human being that God is on your side. What is a Christian community if not a community that does that? And I know there's a debate like, well, there's the gospel, then there's the social gospel. Friends, any gospel that isn't social isn't gospel period. Any gospel, any good news that isn't about how the world runs isn't good news. Good news is that there's a more just, equitable, and good world being born, and we get to help midwife it into existence. Good news is that in the kingdom of God, which is the language Jesus would use for this, in that reality, no one is forgotten, no one is left out, no one is excluded, and everybody has an equitable seat at the table. And if the church is not advocating for those things, then we have really left our tradition behind. Jesus even taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Clearly for Jesus, the action isn't up there, it's down here. John Dominic Crossan says, heaven's in great shape, earth is where the problem is. Right, how much time have we spent in Christian history on heaven when the work has been in front of us the whole time? So I want, I want to invite us to think about something. So when you came in, you were given a puzzle piece. When you get that out? Um, I didn't lose mine like I thought I would. So all of you, did anybody not get a puzzle piece and you want one? Okay. So I want to show you an image. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of dark. So this is what the box of this puzzle looks like. The box of this puzzle is Grace Point. It's our community. And every single one of you who are in this room, whether this is your thousandth time or first time, regardless, you're being invited into this process today. And I want you to think about your puzzle piece as being an, as a symbol of who you are, of all of your creativity, of all of your passion of, of everything that you bring to the table in the world. And I don't care what you've been, you bring a lot of beautiful stuff to the table in this world. You, you bring a uniqueness. You, you are the only you, right? You're the only version of you around. Uh, and you bring something remarkably unique to this community. So I want you to look at your puzzle, please. And I want you to think about what this represents, about, about who you are, about what it might look like for you to bring your whole self into partnership with this community, what it might look like for you to find and discover what your passions are, what, you, what matters to you, what keeps you up at night, and find a way to use your energy and creativity to do something about that in the world. This is you. This is me. This is who we are. And what we're going to be thinking about as we move forward as a community is where, where, does, the piece that, where does my puzzle piece fit in the overall Grace Point story? And here's the good news. There are no joke, gag pieces in there. Every piece fits the puzzle. Every single one, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've been told about church and where you can and can't. That's not how Grace Point works. Everybody has a full seat at the table in this community. Where do you fit? Where where would you plug in into this community? Because there's a piece of what we want to build and create. There's a piece of the community that we long to become that can only be placed by you. And, And when you put that into place, the whole picture becomes clear the whole picture has new meaning and we're able to do some really beautiful things in the world when we do them together so I'm going to invite you to take this puzzle piece with you and you don't have to like bring it back we're not going to put the puzzle together next week I know some people worried about like are we going to have to do this the entire gathering next week putting a puzzle together nope nope Um, I want you to take this with you and I hope that you'll carry it around with you I hope that you'll put it somewhere where you'll have to interact with it and as you look at it, ask yourself, where, where am I going to plug into this? Because my hope is that for everybody that this is a win-win situation. The world gets a win because that means there are more of us using our creativity to do good in the world. And you and I get a win because we get to be in community where we're seen and known and loved and valued, where we can grow and transform and be involved in this great work with other human beings. So I think it's a win-win. And I hope you'll keep it with you. And I hope you'll, like, every time you look at it, I hope it sparks your imagination. I hope it sparks your creativity. I hope it sparks your passion as you think about. And there are things that maybe we need to be a part of as a community that we don't even know about yet. And so if you have something that you're like, man, this is, this is something I'm really passionate about, I would love to hear about what that is and how we could, as a community, um, help make a difference in that area as well. So your passion, your creativity are welcome. You're going to be hearing about some things we've sort of worked up over these next several weeks um, but at the same time, we want to hear what's working in you and what's stirring in you and where your puzzle piece will fit and the overall story. Are you with me? Yes. Everybody has a place here, and I hope you'll find yours. And if, if you're interested in any, of, in any further, if you're interested in care groups, if you're interested in leading, if, like, you can go to that table back there when we're done, and, and we'll get you connected right away. So uh, let's pray. God, we are so grateful for this community, this place, this group of people. And as we begin to think about the future, we, we begin with gratitude for where we've come from. And as we look into the next stage, the next iteration, the next step for Grace Point, we long to be uh, an agent of change in the world. We, we, we want to love deeply. We want to transcend our limitations that keep us um, locked into fear and locked into hate. We want to transcend all of that and become a source of such good and beauty in the world. May we do that in each of our hearts. May, May we be on the journey and in process ourselves. And as we bring our collective pieces into this grace point puzzle, pray that something beautiful would come into the world through it. So give us the courage, the humility, and the curiosity that it will take and ultimately the love that it will take to take this next step as a community. May we find ourselves passionate about this world becoming everything it could be. May we never forget that Heaven's in good shape and earth is where the problems are. Earth is where there's work to be done. And may we do that work fully and freely. May we do that work hand in hand, arm in arm with one another. And may we do that knowing that there are a million different things that could probably divide us. But the the beauty that brings us together is that we're all beloved children of God. And we all meet each other at that space. May Grace Point be a faithful representation of what a progressive Christian community can be in the world. And may we do so with all the joy that we have, with all the energy that we have, with all the compassion that we have. We're grateful. We pray this in Jesus' name. And Everybody said, Amen. amen.